Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as we get started, I want to tell you that I struggled with my sermon this week more than most weeks. In fact, by the time it was all said and done, I think I wrote five sermons. So I hope I actually ended up with the right one this morning. But I wanted to let you know a little bit of why it was such a challenge. When you look at the passages in Scripture that instruct us to encourage one another, very often those passages are tied to the promise of Christ's return. And that makes sense to us. We, we all know that this world is not our home, right? And thank goodness, because it's a world that's filled with growing persecution, increasing violence, broken relationships, terminal illness. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. It's not one of the ones we like to cling to, but it was a promise. But he said, take courage. Because I have overcome the world. So on one hand, we all understand that, that this world is not our home. Our home and th- this is not where we set our hope. It is fixed squarely on the promise of Christ's return. And it should be an encouragement to know that in that day, He makes all things new. No more sickness. No more suffering. No more pain. And that's good news. But here's the reality. Until that day, we still live in a sin-cursed world where all those things are present. And so, am I supposed to sit across the table from a mom who just lost a baby and say, hang in there, it gets better when Jesus gets back. Am I supposed to speak to the family who has a son dealing with terminal illness and say... (laughs) At least someday he's going to be healed. I don't know about you, but that rings hollow and even feels insensitive. I don't think we're supposed to just grin and bear it until the Lord comes back. In fact, Scripture tells us that Christ has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. So how do those two things coexist? How how do we reconcile Those two realities. That's what I wrestled with this week. And this morning, we're going to walk through it together. And I want to ask us to do something. We're not going to solve this dilemma with easy religious answers. We're going to work through it. And we're going to struggle with that tension of what is and what will be. And we're going to look and see what Scripture has to say about how we encourage one another in light of that reality. What does the Scripture have to say about how we encourage one another in the midst of that reality, living with that tension? Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is, um, at least it was for me, a hard place to understand That tension between what is and what will be. And to not get lost in a burden of discouragement and despair as if we're supposed to just grin and bear it until you get back because I don't think that's what you promised. I think you invited us into something more. I don't know that we really understand. I don't know that I really understand what that more is and what it looks like to live in light of your promise of your return, but in, the, in a hope that is very real 
and life-giving right now in our world today. So would you help us understand your perspective and gain clarity through your word? We ask these things in your name. Amen. So I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. And the reason I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians is because Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians as they were new believers. It was a new church. And he wanted to encourage them. So if you want to go somewhere to help find the answer to this dilemma that we're going to work through, this is a good place, 1 Thessalonians. So turn to chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. As you'll notice, he'll say several times, as he will at the end of this passage, to, to comfort one another, to encourage one another with these words. And so let's see what he has to say, beginning in verse 13. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, there it is. The encouragement to, 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 to encourage one another in the hope of that promise of Christ's return. More specifically, Paul seems to direct his attention to uh, dealing with that, probably the harshest reality that we face this side of heaven, and that is the reality of death. So the burden here is a burden of grief. And Paul tells them that, that it's that reality of death when, when you lose someone you love. Because at least when they're sick, you can pray that they'll be healed. At least when they're broken, you can, can pray that they would be restored. But death, death is final. And so Paul acknowledges the fact that, that everyone has to deal with this reality. And it's very normal to grieve when you lose someone you love. But he tells the Thessalonians specifically. He says, do not grieve as those who have no hope. And he goes on to describe what our hope should be. He says, our hope is in the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we're comforted in the reality of death by remembering the death of Jesus Christ. He tells us we need to remember that Jesus was a real person who died a real death. But unlike anyone in the history of the world, he conquered death and rose from the grave. And when he appeared to his disciples in that resurrected body, he made a promise to them and he promised to return. And until that day, he says, I am going to prepare a place for you so that those who trust in me will be with me. Clark Wood just last week randomly caught me before the service and he said, hey, Todd, he said, how long did it take uh, 
the Lord to create the heavens and the earth. And I said, six days? And he goes, yeah, that's right. I thought, pass that test. He says, you know, if he's preparing a place for us, just think how incredible it's going to be when he's had all this time to get it ready. And that's true. That, that's our hope. That's the promise that God gives us through faith in Christ. And I want you to notice as you look at this passage, no, nowhere do you see Paul uh, promising that, that there's hope in this world, that there's a, a trouble-free life, that there's an absence of pain or suffering or even grief. He, he confronts the reality that those are present. But he says, this is our hope. Our hope is not based in the promise that God will take these troubles away. Our hope is in the promise that God will take us away from these troubles. Our hope is not that we're going to live a trouble-free life. In this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. And one day, I will take you away from all those troubles. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I love the honesty of the, the Scripture because it often anticipates our questions. And I know if I'm receiving this letter from Paul, one of the first things I'm thinking is, man, that is, that's good news. That's great. When's that going to happen? I'd like to get it down on my calendar so I can be ready. Well, let's look at how it continues. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. When will it be? No one knows. Comes like a thief in the night. Does the thief schedule an appointment when he comes to rob your house? <laughs> of course not. He waits when you least expect it, probably when you feel most safe and secure. And the same is true, the Scripture tells us, for the day of the Lord's return. So that tension between what is and what will be still remains. Paul doesn't seem to be in any hurry to, to relieve that tension. But he does continue to draw this contrast between us and them. Between those who have hope in Christ and the rest who have no hope. And actually, if you'll look at the scripture here, it says the rest who have no hope are the ones that are doing pretty good. They are the ones who are saying peace and safety. In other words, they're pretty comfortable and satisfied with life in this world. Until the day of destruction comes, and it says they will not escape. Paul says in verse 4 to the brethren, but you, brethren, you who hope in Christ, this should not be a surprise to you. This should not overtake you like a thief in the night. You're not overtaken because you are anticipating the return of Christ because you know the promise. Now, it kind of goes back to the olden days before there were cell phones. 
when family were coming over for the holidays. You knew they'd left. You knew they were on their way. You were anticipating your arrive, their arrival. You never knew exactly when they were going to get there, but you couldn't wait till you hear the doorbell ring, right? That's the idea here of anticipating the Lord's return. We know He's coming. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but we do know He's on His way. He made a promise. But I want you to notice, as you look at these two passages that we're looking at this morning, Paul seems to be describing two distinct and separate events. The first one that we read talked about the day of Christ's return when we will be taken from this world. Right? tells us we will meet Him in the air with those who have preceded us in death and we will be together with Him. But then, he talks about the day of the Lord when He brings destruction to the world. One takes us from the world, one brings destruction to the world. What I believe he is referring to here is the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. Two separate events, but happen so close to one another that when you see the signs you'll know they're both coming. In verse 9, Paul gives us some encouragement in light of that. Look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you were doing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are not destined for wrath. See, we are rescued from that day of destruction, that day that catches so many by surprise. Why? Because God's judgment comes in the day of destruction. It's a judgment for sin. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he took that judgment for you. The wrath of God was poured out on the person of Christ when he gave his life on the cross. That's why in that day of distraction, destruction, you will not receive God's wrath. You will, it says it's for obtaining salvation. That's the day of your rescue. We will be raised with Christ. And that's why we are encouraged to, to encourage one another, to, to build one another up in this promise. But there's more. And if we're careful, we're not careful, we're going to skip right past this and never even see it. It's a little subtle. It immediately precedes both of the instructions to encourage one another, and you see it in verse 17 of, verse, of, of chapter 4, and then in verse 10, of chapter 5. Look at it with me. At the end of verse 17, it says, And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. And then verse 10, That whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another. You see, I think this is the answer to the tension. Yes, we have our hope fixed securely on the promise of Christ's return. But even now, the Lord is with us. Even now, we live together with Him. You see, the source of the encouragement is the reality of our life with Christ. Right here, right now. We're not supposed to 
just grin and bear it. We are encouraged by the promise of His presence with us now. I want us to see how these things belong together and we cannot separate them. The tension exists, but there's an answer. So turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. A great passage that I think pulls these two realities together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere faith in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own gathering together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews in this section encourages us to do three things. To draw near, to hold fast, and to encourage one another. We can draw near because it makes it clear. Jesus made a way. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He took the wrath of God's judgment upon Himself. That's why we are not destined for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. Because when Jesus paid the price, the Scripture tells us that the veil was torn. That veil in the temple of God that represented the separation between sinful man and holy God was torn from top to bottom all the way through. Representing the fact that it was the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ that gives us access to the very presence of God who lives and dwells among us. So he says, draw near with a sincere faith and an assurance. Assurance of what? The assurance of the promise that God is always with us. He is for us. His Spirit dwells within us. So that whether we are dead or alive, we live together with Him. That's the promise. But it also says to hold fast without wavering. Because he who promised is faithful. That's important the way that that's communicated because it tells us that the good news is the security is not based on our behavior but on God's promise. He who promised is faithful. How do you know that he's with you? Because he said he would be. It's his promise and he's faithful. But what about when I mess up? He's with you. What about when I'm in a difficult place and I don't know what to do? He's with you. What about when I feel all alone? You're not. He's with you. It's His promise. And He who promised is faithful. So hold fast with assurance in that promise. And that faithfulness to us is what should... Uh, 
facilitate, encourage our obedience to Him. His promise not to let us to be tempted beyond but what we are able. His promise to be a refuge in a time of need. His promise to give peace that passes no understanding because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. See, God didn't promise to remove our troubles. But He did promise to be right there with us in the midst of them. And He who promised is faithful. So, don't forsake your gathering together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is important because I think this is the answer to that tension that exists between what is and what will be. In fact, I, don't, I think if we don't get this point, this is how we get lost in despair and discouragement. So we need to listen to what Paul is telling us here. You see, the presence of God dwells among the people of God. And so when the Bible says, you are the temple of God, the you is plural. The you is the church, the people of God. And so the reason we don't forsake our own gathering together is because if we do, we lose sight of God's presence living in and among us as His people. See, the Bible is filled with one another. Remember when we started this series, I said there were over 100 in the New Testament because that's how he expects us to live as his people. The answer to the question of what we do until Christ returns is right here among the people of God in the relationships that we have with one another where Christ's presence dwells among us. The church is a place of protection place of hope see outside the church the world is filled with empty promises the promise that wealth brings security success validates your worth relationships are what make you happy or God's commands are just burdens or barriers to what it really means to have fun and if that's where you live if that's where you reside then you will begin to believe those lies and they will then direct your life. But instead, the church is the place where we encourage one another towards love and good deeds. It's where we find hope in the midst of a terminal illness. It's where we find healing in the midst of broken relationships. It's where we find mercy and grace in a time of need. See, we don't want to forsake our gathering together because when we do, we either get lost in discouragement and despair or we get way too comfortable in this world and we lose sight of what on earth we're here for. So let me encourage you this week to consider how to inspire one another towards love and good deeds. And let me caution you not to do it by telling someone what they should do, but by showing them. Live it out. Put the love of Christ on display to those around you. Let them experience His presence by what they see happening in your life. Now, in saying that, I realize this. There are some of you this morning who I know you're in a hard place. And that 
thought of putting that love on display is hard to imagine because you're just trying to figure out how to draw near, how to hold fast. And so let me encourage you to be encouraged. Let the people of God remind you of the presence of God and the promise of God to never leave you, to never forsake you. Let the community of the believers of Jesus Christ come around you for protection, for encouragement, for hope. Put your trust in Him and know that He is with you. See, the Bible's filled with one another because that's how He expects His people to live. That's the answer of the tension before Christ returns. Forgive one another. Accept one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. And all the more as the day draws near. And so, with that last thing in mind, let me just make this final point. Paul tells us in this passage, in the passage in Thessalonians, that we will not be overtaken because we are anticipating the promise of Christ's return. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we do know that there are certain signs, certain evidences that that day may be soon. And I believe in our lifetime, we're seeing many of those. And we've talked about them before, but let me remind you. One of the signs is that restoration of the nation of Israel, which the Scripture says must take place before the return of Christ. At the same time, we see a record number of Jewish people going back to the Holy Land, the land that God had promised them. At the same time that's happening, there is coalitions being formed, unprecedented in the history and the world, who share something in common, an animosity towards that nation of Israel, the people of God. We see in our world and all the, in our nation and in the world around us, uh, moral decay, I just want you to know that I sincerely believe that the day is drawing near. So don't be distracted by a life of peace and safety. Because it's so easy to forsake our, our gathering together in the absence of persecution. Let's just be honest with each other. See, when the world's not that bad of a place, the church is not that big of a deal. But mark my word, the greatest growth strategy for any church is persecution because that's when this place becomes a lifeline that's when the one another's really matter that's when the church becomes a beacon of hope to the world that's what we want to be let's not wait until the day of persecution let's be that people now and so here's my encouragement to you i'm going to ask you to join me in praying together that we would be that people right here right now, faithfully living out the one another's, faithfully reminding each other of that tension that exists between the reality of we live in a sin-cursed world and our hope is fixed securely on the promise of Christ's return. But until that day, He is with us. He is for us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. A broken and contrite heart, He will never refuse And so we rejoice in the reality of His presence right here, right now, as a people of God. So let's draw near. Let's hold fast. 
and that assurance and faith that we have in Christ. And let's encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. Let's pray together. Father, as your people, we are coming together to pray in unity with and for one another. That we would be the church that you've designed us to be as a people of God where your presence dwells among us and in us. The work of your Holy Spirit. We are anticipating your return. We know your promise. We don't know the day, but we know the day has been set and today is one day closer to your return. And maybe the signs that we see happening in our world around us are indications that that day may be soon, but it doesn't matter whether it's tomorrow, 10 years, or 100 years. We want to live faithfully as your people, loving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, showing honor by giving priority to these relationships. Protect us, Father, from being at peace and safety in this world so that we get so comfortable that the church becomes just one more option that we may or may not commit our time to. That these relationships may or may not fit into our daily lives. Forgive us, Father, forsaking our own gathering together, forsaking our lives and relationships with one another. And help us be more faithful to living that out as you've designed us to. Drawing near to you who took the wrath for us. So that we're not destined for wrath. We're destined for salvation. And that day is set. And until that day, Father, help us to hold fast. To encourage one another. To be the people that you've called us to be. A beacon of hope. To a dark world around us. We pray this as your people. The family of God at Melanie Park. In your name we say, Amen. Have a great day.